our job as CEOs is to make sure that everyone's equity is worth something and worth something that is impressive and leads to the individual reasons why people joined here. You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Almost 30 started as a conversation about the transition from our 20s to our 30s. But then we realized life is full of transitions. So we expanded our mission. We are an intuition-led, wellness-focused lifestyle podcast that promises to deliver authentic conversations, diverse points of view, and insights rooted in optimism, growth, and intention. The Almost 30 Nation community is a group of purposeful dreamers who are smart, passionate, and always seeking the full potential in every aspect of their lives. At Almost 30, we're making magic together. We dream it, and then we do it. Thanks so much for tuning into the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Ready to roll. Dentures are out. Are we on? Yeah, we're on. My dentures are out. I'm wearing, as you guys know, I have like Invisalign, whatever. And I have to take out the dentures regularly. It's pretty sexy. I'm getting you a case for I have a case. no reason. I'm choosing not to use it, but I freaking, I actually love the look. Like it makes my teeth look big because they're like protected. Yeah. It's kind of like a nice look. I'm into it. Just like chiclet. Yeah. They look like, they look like they're fake because it's like they're covered in the the layer Mm -hmm. and they kind of hurt. It's like a really cool thing. I'm going to be sad when you're done. Me too. (laughs) Honestly, I've thought about like putting whitening stuff in there and just like blasting my teeth with whitening treatment like all day. Oh, I used to go to high school with that a girl would hurt like that hell. Would sleep with white strips on, dude. Well, I guess white strips aren't as strong. Like the whitening treatment that you put in trays, that would hurt so bad. It gets so sensitive. It hurts so bad, anyways. Oh my god, I can't even have it on for a minute. Holy hell, it burns. That girl likes to be tortured. I know. Well, it was like the phase where white teeth, super tan. Don't. You know, we're in Ohio. Of course, that's, the tanner course you are, the whiter the teeth look, uh, which is the trick. And the, my, the whiter the hair, you know, like the blonder the hair, <laughs> whatever. Shocking. <laughs> like we're going to look back as, as, a, as a species in like, you know, a hundred years and look back on that time when that was really, really cool and be like, ah, mm. Oh my God. I know. I actually, so I just got my haircut and I went to my girl really, she really loves me and values my, my patronship. I go to my, I schedule an appointment at the old salon. She's gone. She's moved salons. No, didn't tell me, but I found her. <laughs> hey, I found her. So I, I haven't been going to her for that long, but I found her at her new salon and I was like, Oh, I always, I love to hear the drama of like a salon. So I'm like, Oh, what happened? Yeah. She's like, well, nothing actually they had, they were doing Brazilian blowouts and keratin treatments, which are formaldehyde based. And I didn't want to be around formaldehyde because I just got over cancer. So she had cancer, got it taken out miraculously last year, was able to recover. She's like, I think a lot of the reason why I had cancer was because I was around formaldehyde for my entire time as a hairstylist. Holy! And I was thinking about that. Like, it's so nice that people don't really go for that super straight look anymore Mm -hmm. of the keratin treatments of the Brazilian blowouts. I mean, I have so many friends that have gotten them for years. Oh yeah. And, And it makes me think about other professions, that profession, like the beauty profession or... 
I'm trying to think where there's just like a lot of chemicals being sprayed. It's around like aerosol. I wonder, like, is there, um, you know, safety requirements? Are they covered? You know what I mean? If they develop certain like respiratory issues or cancer or whatever it is, obviously, you know, I'm sure they won't prove it that it's connected, but absolutely. Like that scares me. I know. Isn't that, I know I was so thankful that she brought that up and I was thankful that I'm now at a salon that doesn't do formaldehyde. So I'm never going to be breathing it in. I'm never going to be around those chemicals. And yeah, it's really unfortunate that, you know, there are a lot of professions where they are stuck in situations or circumstances where they are exposed Mm -hmm. to chemicals very, very regularly. Um, in a lot of different ways. And and I think people aren't really thinking about it until now. You know, yeah. it's terrible, but you'll see at oftentimes like nail salons. I was just about to say, I've walked out of nail salons because it smelled too much. Yeah, and they have Can't. to wear masks. Mm-mm. And those women are around that all day. It's just, you know, it's really terrible to think about, but you know, what we can do or what I can do is just do my best to be more thoughtful about, you know, the mm-hmm. places that I'm at and the air that I'm breathing and um, putting the people that work with, you know, work with me or that are my hairstylists in the best situations possible too. So like supporting her at her new salon, right. You know, that kind of thing, but crazy. Totally. Totally. Um, Yeah. We wanted to have a discussion this week, just kind of bring you guys up to speed. We always, um, we like to pull back the curtain on what we're doing, you know, because uh, when we meet you, we realize that, you know, we're all so, so alike in that we're, maybe killing it in one way, but really struggling emotionally or mentally to uphold this, you know, expanding idea of ourselves. And, you know, as business owners, founders, hosts, we're, you know, bosses now to, you know, we have a team. It's just like a lot is happening and um, a lot of wonderful things are happening, but, you know, we don't want to portray something that it's not. You know, there are really hard conversations that we have to have. There are hard decisions that we have to make every day. Um, it's all very much worth it, but we're learning so much right now and it can be very uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm having a really hard time because within the business, because I am learning to step into my power of just saying whatever's on my mind and letting it land Mm -hmm. and being comfortable being, you know, radically honest, like I talked about. And it doesn't always feel gooey. It doesn't always feel warm and fuzzy, but it's the most productive way for me to do things. But then is it a non-heart-centered way to do things too? You know, I think with the way, with how fast things are going with our business, it just makes more sense for me to like speak my mind. But sometimes it's hard to always do that, to always feel like, you know, you might be saying too much. You might be saying, you know, controlling or whatever it is. There's always those like insecurities that come up as women, as females, when we are speaking our truth, we are speaking loudly, we are speaking very directly. That feels a little uncomfortable. Yeah, and there's um, a sh- like a a seamlessness that I want to have with the team where it's uncomfortable when like we're one way, one moment when things are like flowers and sunshine. And then we have to have a conversation, a hard conversation, and then it has to shift. And I, I'm trying to think about like how that can be more seamless. You know, do you pull back on the, not the play and the fun, but just like the, almost like the friendship. Cause we are, you know, 
our, our team members are our friends as well, but it's a really fine line to walk, you know, because at the end of the day, we are here together to, to serve almost 30, you know, to serve the community. So it's like, I, I don't want, I don't want the lines to be blurred or, or them to get whiplash from one moment to the other, where it's like, this is when we're chilling. And then this is when we're, we're in business mode, you know, whatever that is, it's just kind of uncomfortable. And then I've also been just like between us as we, I think we get closer as things get harder, which is like the best and, and realizing how our dynamic is, does really, it works so well to manage a team. So because we are so different when things get a little um, complicated and hard, we're really able to use our differences to make decisions, to handle a situation. And so I'm just like, I'm feeling very grateful for that. I've like, and it makes me appreciate who I am and who you are, you know, more like, instead of being like, I need to be more like you or you need to be more like me. It's just like, thank God we're so different in that way. And that we can just bring this, I don't know, like, full experience to our team, to the situation. So it's not so hot or it's so avoidant, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's really, I don't know, it's full and I'm, I'm liking it even though it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I haven't thought about that. Like the situations that we've been in have provided you an opportunity to really like step up in a certain way Mm -hmm. that you felt maybe wasn't there. Yeah. To like be that voice that mm-hmm. I can't be a lot of times to be that like calm demeanor, that like clear full bodied communication that I often don't have, mm-hmm. you know, I can, but I yeah. often see very clearly my side and, um, well, yeah. it's almost like a timing thing where like, yeah, 100. the initial is maybe more, the initial conversation is where I can step in and then you're so good at like just having a think about things and then coming back and tying it together, you know? So it's just so, it's such a dance. I don't know how, yeah. I don't know how like someone would do this on their own. Like it would be, you know, for all the the female entrepreneurs and founders out there, like to be alone in every one of these conversations would be really challenging because I find opportunities to like tap out, you know, ask for your help. um, And, and vice versa. And, um, you know, with every conversation and every meeting and and everything that we do, it's like an opportunity to like evaluate, you know, how I'm communicating, how, you know, things are going, how things are running, the experience of everything. And it can be tiring, you know, at times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and to just like putting into perspective, I think, you know, any business owner out there, anyone who's um, running their own business, founding a, a brand, whatever it is, like just having moments where you put things into perspective, you know, like this year is really jam packed for us in the best way. And I've, I've really valued moments where I can be like, oh my God, we were just in London and we have listeners in Europe, Europe, like, or, oh my God, we're doing a retreat and it's almost sold out. Like what? Mm -hmm. Like things like that, just, just not being ashamed to celebrate like how far you've come. Um, even if you're not where you want to be yet, you know what I mean? Because like 
this moment will never happen again, you know, and I want to look back on this time and, and remember myself like really enjoying the fact that like we've come this far and I know we're going to go even farther, but it's like, if we can't enjoy every little victory, then like, what is it all for? You know, mm-hmm. cause it seems that we just keep setting new goals, setting new goals, setting new goals. And I know a lot about of you out there do that, but like just bringing ourselves back to presence as cheesy as it sounds, but it's like, I ha- we have to, in order to like play the long game. Yeah. And I was with Chloe last night for a sound bath mm. and um, it was so beautiful. Like she was uh, saying, she's like, you know, it just feels really good right now. And I feel really good about the workload and everything that I'm doing and everything with almost 30. And it was so nice to, to see her say that and to, uh, you know, agree with that sentiment. We have a little bit of a, um, a going in period, you know, before tour picks up again in July and August. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it feels really nice. It feels really nice that I'm rushing around less. You're rushing around less. Mm -hmm. I'm working less weekends. I'm working less nights. Um, and I just feel less crazed with things. I feel way more in the flow, you know, than I have before. And a lot of that is thanks to our team, you know, thanks to totally. Kayla's hard work with um, the retreat and with tour and everything like that, that she's done share with ambassador program, Tiffany with PR and um, you know, Chloe, obviously, but they've just done such a great job of really supporting us and supporting really almost 30 in all of this. Yeah. And I think, you know, what is hard about any of this and that goes for what is hard for our, for our team too, like for them as they navigate and they grow and they learn, it's just like, all of this one, like every one of us care so much, you know, so we're just deeply invested in this. And that's why when thing, if things don't go right or how we planned, it's just kind of heartbreaking, you know, and um, it's almost, it almost feels personal sometimes because we're all so deeply in this thing. Yeah. And it's all in the, we're on the personal growth space, the development space, and we get so deep on the podcast every week. So it's like, there's no lines. How could you not? You know? Yeah. So um, yeah, our, our guest guests today kind of inspired this reflection of sorts, just because we're talking to two other female founders, founders of the skim, um, which is, you know, just a very, very successful, incredible platform um, that they grew from nothing. And that, didn't exist. Truly what they were doing um, did not exist. So we were just kind of happy to, you know, speak to people that we could like relate to on a level. And look up to. (laughs) And look up to. Yeah, for sure. Um, Carly and Danielle created The Skim, which is an awesome resource for people that want to stay informed. Everyone really wants to stay informed, but they don't want to get too deep into it. So I've been a subscriber of the skim for a very long time. I remember when the first person told me about it, they said it was a great way to be on top of the news and reading the news, but in a really easily digestible way. So um, right now, especially with you know what's going on in politics today and just everything in general can be a little bit overwhelming, but it is important that we do stay informed because um, decisions will be made uh, without us or conversations will be had without us. So being informed is, is super important. So the skim is a perfect resource for that. And since creating that, they've parlayed it into a podcast, now a book and um, other businesses within it that really stick to the mission of helping people educate themselves in an easy way. 
Yeah. And we also talked just about creating culture, having hard conversations. Um, and it was just really nice that they were so honest about it. It hasn't always been easy or, you know, pretty, but they've made it through. Yeah. And we also talked about um, starting a business with, you know, your best friend. Uh, for them, they lived together when they started their business. They both quit their jobs and, you know, lived on credit cards for a while through this process. And they've been getting, they've been in investor conversations and VC conversations. So we talked a lot about that and um, what the beauty of it and the challenges with it too. So if you ever have an interest to start a business with your friend, definitely listen up. Yeah. And if you want to check out their new book, this book, uh, How to Skim Your Life, breaks down some of the less glamorous parts of being an adult, which we know a lot about, covering everything from personal finance to career to stress stress management, global politics, and more. So you can go to theskim.com slash book and you can pre-order it there. And they are also going on tour. So um, they'll be in Washington, DC, Chicago, New York, Nashville, Charlotte, Dallas, and the list goes on. So check it out, theskim.com slash book. Um, and of course, we're going on tour. So I got to plug yeah. that, whatever. About our tour. <laughs> uh, we'll be on tour. So go to almost30podcast.com slash tour. We're really excited to meet you. It inspires us. It makes us laugh. We just love you so much. It's a really cool part of what we do and kind of out of the box for podcasting. Not many podcasts meet their, their community in real life. And that's kind of what we're all about. So um, grab tickets, bring friends, come alone, whatever you want to do. We want to see you. And we have our retreat in Malibu coming up, which we are really, really, really proud of. We've put a ton of work into this um, unique, um, special experience for 25 women were almost sold out. So I would, it might be sold out by the time this comes out actually. Yeah. Um, so, so grab it. Grab we it. have many massages, facials, a crystal bar, astrology readings, Reiki healing, sound baths. Um, you can go to the beach. You can learn and listen from some of our favorite podcast guests. So it is going to be healing, transformative, and fun. Yeah. Um, and lots of goodies, man. Wow. It's actually Bathing illegal. Suits. Illegal. Yeah. So pillowcases, <laughs> beauty products, it's got everything. Yeah. We're really excited to meet all of you. Um, and then we have our live show end of uh, July. We are excited to sell this fucking show out y'all at mm -hmm. the Independent in San Francisco. So if you have not gotten your tickets, I highly suggest getting them. It's going to sell out in the next few weeks. Um, but go to almost30podcast.com slash tour San Francisco live show with none other than Lacey Phillips. Super. Super excited. Yeah, super powerful to be magnetic. If you haven't heard of her work, it's awesome. And then we will see you on the rest of the tour. You can go to our website for dates, Nashville, DC, Philly, Miami, New York for a few few shows, um, Columbus, Ohio, and everywhere on the other side of the country. Truly. All right, we love you. Enjoy this episode. Join the secret Facebook group and we'll catch you on the other side with a review. Yes for uh, having us. Of course. The book sounds amazing. The tour sounds amazing. I mean, so much happening for you guys. Um, I'll never forget when someone recommended the skim to me a few years ago and I subscribed and I've been a subscriber ever since. And um, it's kind of one of those things where I have clear memories of it now. You know, if we didn't meet or interview you, I would maybe not so clearly remember when I first started reading the skim and um, saw the difference in what you guys do as it compares to, to anything else that I was reading at the time. So um, we are really honored and excited to interview you and especially as female founders. 
Yeah, of course. And especially as female founders, best friends, we, we know how that goes. So we've got a lot to talk about today. I'm excited. Let's do it. Yeah, we'd love to dig in. You know, a lot of our listeners are always curious about their early days because a lot of them are in their early days of starting their businesses um, and just kind of building building that dream life. Um, and we know it's not always pretty or cute. So I would love for you to take us back to um, before you started um, the skim and what that looked like in your relationship at the time. So we started the scam almost seven years ago. We started it from our living room couch. Um, so Carly and I uh, grew up in different places. We went to different schools and we randomly happened to be on the same study abroad trip. Uh, so we actually met in Rome. Uh, we like to say that our co-founder story trumps everyone else because we met <laughs> in Italy. Um, and we randomly happened to bond over the fact that we both like fried artichokes. Um, so food Same. is like food is fine in mm. Italy. That's it. Uh, <laughs> like you do when you're 19 years old, you talk about things like that and like where you're going to go out that night and yep. you don't talk about your career path. Uh, so we went back, graduated and randomly happened to find each other when we were both working for NBC News. Um, and had actually had the same internships, had crisscrossed, uh, working for the same people and just never put it together. And that started kind of our reconnection. And from there, uh, we lived in DC and then moved to New York and became roommates in New York, all really working in the same um, realm for NBC News and its related properties. Um, And we absolutely loved what we did. So we both grew up loving telling stories, um, really loving news, the adrenaline associated with it, the idea of being the ones to um, break information or to tell people about what was going on in the world. Um, and we saw at two things when we were 25. Um, the first is that we absolutely loved what we did. We had moved up this corporate ladder in media really quickly. And had looked around and realized that we were now going to have to wait in line for an opening. And I think probably like a lot of your listeners, if you're someone that has a hustle, if you're someone that has an entrepreneurial spirit to be able to see openings and go for it, the idea of waiting in line for your turn at something is really hard. Um, and I think that impatience um, and also naivete in some ways led us to look at what else was out there. Um, the other thing that we saw really, really crystal clear was that our friends who are smart, educated, on the go, did not have a lot of time and they weren't watching anything we produced for a living. Um, and we began to realize that it's a weird thing to be paid to read the news all day long. Um, and that women are, millennial women are leading in so many different ways. And it didn't make any sense that there wasn't a source of information that fit into their day-to-day lives and how we live our lives, how we consume information, how we um, determine what to trust. And we wanted to create it. Um, I say that all right now. I think the idea of like living that dream is something that we're still trying to figure out because in reality, there's never been a day that isn't messy or scary. Um, and I think we've just started to accept that that's kind of the name of the game. 
Yeah. And for you guys, so you guys were working at NBC where you guys, and you guys were living together in New York. Um, and I know, you know, I've read that you guys quit and you guys were doing this full time and, and kind of putting things on credit cards. What was that decision like for, for you two to do that? And, you know, for girls that are listening that want to be entrepreneurs that want to start their own thing, what is that conversation and what sort of advice would you give to them if it's to build while they're still in their job or if it's to, to go all in? So I love this question. We, we've gotten asked this before and it makes me kind of smile because I'm like, we didn't have a choice. It wasn't like, should we you know, use our savings or the credit card? We had just over $4,000 combined between the two of us. We were making not a lot of money at NBC. Um, neither of us had health insurance. Um, like when we left, um, we had, I think I was under, I was under 26 at the time. So I was able to still, um, be under my parents for, for like a few more months. Um, and Danielle, what Cobra was. Learned what Cobra was. Oh my gosh, know. Cobra. And it's yeah. like $1,000 a month. You're like, Cobra <laughs> is not going to work. <laughs> and learned I couldn't afford it. Yeah. Exactly. I'm like, this isn't an option. <laughs> I, I do think, you know, for us, it was not a, re- it was not a realistic possibility for us to stay at our jobs and do the scan. At the same time, when we started meeting with people for advice, the, I mean, one of the first meetings we had, and, and to me, I think it was one of the best advice that we've ever gotten. And I give it to other entrepreneurs is I can't tell somebody what to do about their personal financial situation. That's none of my business and it's nobody's business but your own. But if you are asking somebody, an investor, to believe in you and fully take a bet on you, you have to first show that you have to take a, you can take a bet on yourself. And the way to show that is what are you willing, how much are you willing to give up to do this? And again, like that is only a decision you can make on your own. And there's obviously real life considerations. We were very lucky that this was before we had families, before we had any other obligations other than just like paying rent and feeding ourselves. Um, we, so we made the decision, um, which really wasn't a decision. We just accepted the decision of, okay, well, we each have a credit card. Let's just put everything on our cards. And it took years to to fully pay that off. I mean, and as anyone who's ever had credit card debt knows, like even when you start making more money and when we were able to finally have an income, like you're constantly paying back towards something. Um, so that was um that was a huge, huge risk that we took. I'm very grateful to say that we are out of that debt. But um there's no other way that we could have done this. And I think it's the best thing we ever did. So how did you decide like what to initially spend your money on, you know, to, to ensure that this would take off in some way. This for all memory of us buying a printer. I don't know why that just came to me, but like, Oh, we bought it. I brought the printer. We we were going to have to, I remember like going to Staples at night and we had to, um, we knew we were going to have to like print out investor decks and the FedEx near us was so, FedEx Kinkos was so expensive to print. And we knew anytime we were going to meet an investor, like we would have to bring our decks. So we brought a printer. Printer cartridges are very expensive. Uh, and I just, I remember that being like, is this really the best use of money? But like, okay, we do need to have this. And I remember like learning that we could write that off as a business, a small business expense and being very excited about it. <laughs> You're I like, this is technically free. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, um, two things that are, are interesting what we've learned from it. The day that we launched leading up to it, we um, this is actually on our, our blog. It's the first post, which is this beautiful picture of our fridge stacked with food that we made because we were like, okay, 
we're not going to have an income, so we better stop eating out and ordering in. We knew that that was probably a, a bad use of money. So we were like, great, we'll go grocery shopping and we'll start making all of our meals and I'll be healthy and great. And so we did that for the first day. And that is the last time our fridge ever looked like that. <laughs> and it was, I, I think we no longer had for the next like three to four years time to cook on a weeknight and ordering in became the only option. Definitely not the healthiest, not the best choice looking back um, for finances or our health, but it was kind of this Instagram versus reality moment of what it looks like. I think the other thing that we've learned along the way, when you talk about um, how to spend money early on and types of trade-offs that you make, um, Cabs in general are expensive, even, you know, before Uber there, even if you Uber, it's, it's still expensive. Um, subway public transportation definitely made more sense. But when we looked at our days and we looked at the amount of people we were trying to network with, the amount of people we were trying to just get on their calendar with, the amount of people that we would say like, oh, you happen to be in New York and have 10 minutes today? Great. I can be there right now. We ended up spending more money taking cabs and Uber. But when I think about it, the amount of time and the payoffs that those connections made, being able to work every single moment of that day from the time you wake up, is something that we still we think also, about. We would also do calls. And even now, like, yeah. when we think about how do we get somewhere, we almost always take a car because then we can have our business calls and that allows us to get more in a day. So it's an opportunity cost. Yeah, yeah multitasking. Yeah. Literally gets me off, but it, it's hard sometimes for my Lyft and Ubers because I'm like, all right, you know, I'm going to work. I'm not talking, and then I get in and I'm like, so tell me about your divorce, Richard, and I'm just like <laughs> in it talking to them. <laughs> I'm from Ohio, yeah. I'm from New York, I don't talk to anybody. So there you go. Talk. Yes, it's my Midwest. I'm just like I get in deep, and then it's a waste of my time. I'm from Midwest too, so Carly, this is the game we play when we get in. I'm like, oh hi, sir, how's your day? And Carly's just like, why are you? <laughs> yep. No, like this is a quiet time for everybody. Yep, it's peaceful. I I do that now. Now I'll be like, I get in and I'm like, thanks for letting me just relax, and then I can and do my work. But um, something you guys have talked about was uh, meeting with people um, as you guys were getting started. So having conversations with you know potential mentors and people that would give you advice. Um, and when I think about that, I'm wondering if it was like the period in time, you know, seven years ago, if that was easier than it is now, because I'm sure for you guys, I'm sure there's tons of people that are in your DMs or emailing you that uh, want 10 minutes of your time. So what is what was your pitch like then? And what would be your pitch now if you were to try and get time uh, with someone that you wanted advice or um, direction from? Um, it's a good question. Our pitch then... Uh, I would say it was probably 50-50 cold emails or a warm introduction. Um, always try to go through a warm introduction. So um, we almost always would say, you know, depending on the person, like the two lines on the skim, what we were specifically looking for advice on. So whether advice on fundraising mm. or whether advice on first hire um, and uh, just um, kind of a, a, like a quick line about like why we wanted to tell them about what we were building. Um, I think also to be careful like no one wants to, no one wants to get an email like hi i'm hoping that you would write me a check so like do you have time to meet so there's an art to that which is not just being like we're raising money and we'd love to meet with you because that's actually the mistake we made very early on and it took us like nine months 
to realize that was really dumb of us. Um, so instead, we would say, you know, we're this is a scam. We quit our jobs. We're doing this. This is, um, you know, bragged a little bit about our growth and, and metrics and what our vision was, and saying, you know, we're we're excited to take this company to the next phase. Would love to tell you more about it. Um, do you have twenty minutes or ten minutes? Um, that you know, that was kind of always our our catch all. I think today. It's interesting. We do get a lot of outreach from people who were us seven years ago. And yep. there's nothing in the world more than what I would like to do is to meet all of those people. And someone gave us the best advice, which is they're coming to us because they think that we are successful, but we're not successful yet. And for us to be able to like give back to the next kind of generation or next group of entrepreneurs, like we have to stay focused and heads down, build the skin to our vision so that... And to do that, we've got to be heads down. So we really don't take a lot of those meetings. And our kind of rule of thumb is if someone has emailed us a few times um, and is showing the kind of the appropriate level of, um, I would say, the diplomatic way of being aggressive, nothing scary, uh, that to us, it reminds us of ourselves. It, um, it shows that they're persistent. It shows they have drive. And we will try to make time for that. It shocks me, not shocks me, but I'm just like, oh, wow, they they feel like they're still head down and, and, you know, not to the point of what they consider success because, you know, obviously the world looks at you and they see well, success. We're really proud of ourselves. Yes. And we know how far we've come, but we are, our story is still unfolding. I mean, I, I mean, the next thing I was going to say is we, we relate, you know, we totally relate because I think, and I, I'd love to explore your, um, you know, definition or feeling or idea of success. Because for us, you know, we have goals too, where we meet them and it's like, we're almost on to the next thing before we can even celebrate or really take it in. So I'd love to, you know, for you to talk about your relationship with success and how you define it and um, how you stay present, you know, as you meet those goals. So I think actually my definition of success has, I have two definitions of success and they've stayed very constant since we started. I think the second one I probably developed along the way. Um, to me, the definition of success is to my our job as CEOs is simple to make sure that everyone's equity is worth something and worth something that is impressive and needs to um, the individual reasons why people joined here. Um, so that means that we define success as creating value for our employees who took a risk to get something out of this, our early investors, um, our advisors, and ourselves. Um, and that is the driving force every single day. And I think in having that clear shared definition of success, it doesn't have any room for ego because it's not about us individually. It's not about our different personalities or what one person wants that we hire. It's about everything is about this tunnel vision of making sure that this brand is as successful as we could possibly make it and has the most value that we could put into it. Um, and I think that's been the shared definition of success for us since day one. And that hasn't changed. I think what has become our second de definition of success um, is I love meeting people who have like Google on their resume from 20 years ago, right? Or 10, 15 years ago. And you are like, wow, that person was there at such an awesome time. And you know that they are probably really, really fucking good at what they do. Sorry if I can't swear. Um, <laughs> and, 
they, I, we think a lot about wanting to create the same type of legacy that the people who have been here and put their heart and soul and helped us build this company, um, that when they go on to do whatever they want to do next, that they have that gold stamp. And for us as managers, that's something that we really strive to have. Um, I think the hardest thing, so, so going back to your question, the definitions of success have not been hard for me personally. What has been hard for me is because those definitions of success are big things that, um, are, they don't happen overnight. It's not just like, oh, one day you check the box, right? It's much more about how do I feel um, that sense of pride in myself along the way. I think actually it took a long time for me to be able to step back and be like, wow, I'm really proud of what we've done because I have such tunnel vision about what success means. Yeah, I feel that. Um, and it's ever evolving too. You know, I can imagine that you know, and certain things might be a, a, feel like a bigger success to one of you and to the other, like your head's still down and you're on to something else. Um, actually, we don't have that. I think we're, we're so aligned. We have the mm, same definition. Mm-hmm. Um, we keep a similar perspective. Yeah, mm-hmm. I want to talk about that relationship. You know, mm-hmm. you guys going into business, you know, as best friends and co-CEOs and it's it's a lot. You know, you guys are working together. You guys are doing something you've never done before. You guys are in really hard conversations. You guys are making really hard decisions multiple times a day. Um, what is that? Um, how do you guys maintain, I guess, a healthy relationship where you guys both feel heard, you both feel respected, and you both can make sure that your trust is kept um, throughout your relationship as this thing grows? It's a good question. I don't know why it just came to mind, but you know, like the movie, A League of Their Own. Um, and it's like, there's no crying in baseball. Mm-hmm. I think there is crying in baseball. And I think how we have been able to maintain like our relationship is that when we are in the game, we are both in it. And like, we are very accountable to each other. We have the same definition of success. We know when someone's having an off day, we know how to step in, you know, on behalf of that person. But when you are in the dugout or when you're like not playing baseball, um, my God, our team is like cringing by my metaphor. Right I thought now. you were going to talk about this. I love a sports <laughs> metaphor. Let's do this. <laughs> I'm going to get us all League of Our Own t-shirts. Yes. Um, but I think that um, I think that we are we have to bring, there's no choice to bring your whole, uh, anything other than your whole self here. Like this is our life. There is personal sacrifices that has been a part of this journey. Um, we have so much stress on our day to day and so much pressure on us that the one thing that we are both very aware of and, and um, mindful of is like the stress that neither of us ever need to have is do I trust the other? And I think that when I talk to other founders or, or entrepreneurs who don't have that and have a co-founder, I'm like, I don't understand how you exist. And when I, when we meet, uh, you know, aspiring entrepreneurs who are talking almost like trading, finding a co-founder as if it was like finding a date for an event, I, it terrifies me. Like I, as an investor, I would never invest in a company like that. I think we, um, we are very much united and aligned around our definitions of success, what our values are as people, what our values are as, um, as CEOs and, and from a company standpoint. And also I think very, open about talking about what we're each good at and could be better at. Um, and so those things kind of keep us functioning. And I think a very strong team. 
Yeah. Do you have practices in place between you, you know, whether it's like consistent check-ins or just ways in which, you know, you stay so connected, so aligned and so in tune with one another. And, you know, when one is having an off day, the other steps in, as you said. So I'm just curious as, you know, we do this as well and, and always open to kind of implementing new ways to do that. Uh, I think a few different ways, and we've actually never really talked about it, but I think there are a few tools that we have. Um, the first is that we text a lot, um, like all day long, but we don't do that. One of the things that we actually changed in the past 18 months is that we used to have a, a text message stream that was just us all day long, back and forth, like about everything. It was almost like, like the stream of consciousness you have in your head. Yep. Um, we brought on an executive team. We learned that uh, that shouldn't exist anymore. And instead we have a whole executive team text message chain that is the same things, but now it's shared with everyone else we want to have in our head. Um, and that switch in letting people in has helped a lot. Um, we CC each other on mostly every email. Uh, and it's always like when I stop to do it, cause I'm like, Oh, this is going to clock her inbox. Like it's such a small thing. I always have to remind myself like, no, this is helpful. Like this is cutting down any room for ambiguity. Um, the other thing is we, I think actually we switch really on and off seamlessly. So we tend to, um, when the weather is actually nice here in New York, um, we live on the same street. So we walk home together. And when we walk home, um, which we've actually done for most of the offices that we've had. We don't talk about work and it's not like a, okay, now we're not going to talk about work. It's just like, by the time we've left the building, it's like, we're so ready to talk about something else. And that feels like a very different relationship than the one we have here. Mm, love that. Yeah. And it's the maintenance of your relationship and of your friendship is such an important part of self-care too, in a way, you know, so the walking, the having the conversations outside of work to kind of change your thought patterning. Um, how do you guys take care of yourself with all the stress, with everything that you guys have going on? You know, at the beginning, it may not have happened. So what are you guys doing now with self-care? Um, I think six months in, we weren't, it was like what I'm, I don't have children, but what I imagine having like a really fun newborn is like, which is a newborn <laughs> who doesn't sleep, but you're like, I really like this kid. Uh, so we were not sleeping for six months straight, basically. Um, we had no schedule. And when we were hungry, we ate. When we like were like, maybe we should work out, we'll work out. Um, but we were up all night and we were running on adrenaline. And that only lasts you so much. And so when we came back from Christmas break um, that first year, we created our first like kind of set of idea of a schedule. And some of that schedule, that, some of that framework still exists for us today. And like, we just kind of think of our days like day parted like, in the way that we needed it to be six years ago. Um, over, so over time, I think we both become religious about working out. It's as much of a mental thing as it is a physical one. Um, we are incredibly protective of that time. We call it sacred time. It is blocked off in our calendars. We brought that as part of our company culture. Like People use sacred time for therapy, to call their parents, to take a walk, um, to go to the gym, whatever. You, no one needs to know what you do in that sacred time, but we both use it. Um, and we really do not cancel anything. Uh, we don't cancel it for anything. I think the other thing is we don't do emails on the weekends. Very, very rarely will we email. Um, and that's, that's hard to break. I don't want to say it's like a, you know, we're amazing at it, but like we're pretty, really, 
pretty good at it. Um, which, we break it Sundays. Yes. Well, yeah. So we started like Friday early evening and break it Sunday early evening. Um, so that's very helpful. And just shutting off when we, neither of us are like out of the office on vacation, even if it's for a day, we delete our email. Um, we have an out of office app. Like if it's not there, I can't see it. And then I won't think about it. Um, so there, those are like little tricks that are very helpful. Um, I also, um, I used to be a night owl and I've really become the opposite of that where like I force myself to go to bed really early. Um, I'm reminding myself like we're not saving lives and like this can be handled tomorrow. And I read or watch bad TV and think about something else. It's got to have it. Yeah, setting those boundaries out. and and having last audio. There you go. Can you guys hear us? Yeah, yeah, perfect. perfect. Um, yeah, and on that, have you found that it's kind of taught the people that you are, you know, interacting with uh, both in person and through email? Just like setting those boundaries, has that been hard? Like, I'm just thinking, like, okay, no emails on the weekend. Great, like we love that idea, but then you know, we're, we're kind of worried about, well, do they expect a response like by Sunday? Like, is the opportunity going to like disappear? So how has that worked? We talk about all of our direct reports. We like to tell them that. Um, I think if we don't respond to somebody's email on a Friday night or Saturday, that sets the tone. Like I'm not responding to it. If it's an emergency, like people know how to get in touch with us or if it's like something needs urgent attention, like obviously like I still have my inbox, like I'll, I'll see it. But we don't respond. And I think that's just, that just starts to, to set a tone. Um, I think it also, what it does is it actually helps prioritize. So when we do respond, like if something comes in and it's a time sensitive opportunity on a weekend or at 11 PM, it's not that I'm not going to respond. It's just more that that's the stuff I'm going to respond to and not the other things. Um, and I hopefully, hopefully that is something that, um, one, it took us a long time to get here. And so I hope it's something that when we measure it a year from now, people are picking up on. I think like anything, you have to lead by example. And the better we get at it, the better our team will be at it. Oh, I love that. And speaking of the the team, I'd love to talk about, you know, your decisions um, early on when you, you know, made your first hires. Um, we did that recently um, with full-time hires and, you know, it was something we'd never done before. Um, so navigating it really from a place of um, tuning into our intuition and to each other. Um, so I'd love to, I'd love to hear, you know, how that went and, you know, where it was successful and where it wasn't. Um, this is such a great question because it takes me back to, you know, that first team in our small office, um, that like was one room, um, we bought our desks and put them in a car from like a fire sale at a, startup that had closed um we're really really superstitious so i'm surprised that we did that yeah Um, (laughs) and the first day that we had an office um i remember we got a teal picnic like tarp and we all sat on it on the floor and had bagels and mimosas because we didn't have any furniture um and that was like how we bonded and it was the two of us and our first um three employees I remember our first hire, um, we should all say we're so close with all of those people. Um, our first hire, I remember meeting her at a cafe and we took her for coffee and she just had this enthusiasm and, um, had ideas and had a love of the brand and was up for anything. And I think 
when we thought about the founding team, that's what we needed just to have someone that was going to be in there. I think one of the biggest things that she did for us early on um, was she took us aside about a couple months in um, and she said, I don't know. I joined this company and I joined a startup because I wanted to be on a team. I wanted to be all in. Um, and I wanted to feel like I'm growing something. I don't know if we all need to get drunk together or go out, but we need to create that here. Um, and I think we thought that culture was something that just like happens by osmosis. And I think good cultures are created. Um, and that was the first big management lesson that we had. Um, and it came from our first hire, which was we need to actively create and then actively protect the culture that we want to have. And it all starts with the DNA of the company. Yeah. And do you guys have for management, you know, when you guys are starting a business, I guess that wasn't something that I necessarily thought about, you know, with me as a manager, my interactions with exactly like my interactions with my employees, like changing my management style for the person's communication and management style and everything like that. Did you guys go through any training or did you guys reach out to any mentors or how did you learn to be the best managers you could be? Sort of all of the above. Um, we never had managed before. It, it is by far, I would say, second to fundraising, the hardest thing we've ever done. Um, it's really hard, and I don't think it gets easier. Um, I think there's incredible rewards in it, and I think sometimes it's not the most fun. Um, I think that we have learned a lot. We have, I mean, the thing about us, and this goes back to us as journalists and just our background, is we are trained to ask a lot of questions. We have no shame or ego about doing that. So we've always had amazing advisors and mentors um, around us who we have gone to for so many countless management scenarios and advice as things have come up. Um, only recently have we actually like started, um, you know, doing uh, more formalized coaching um, and purposely kind of waited till we got to this level just because we're at a different level of scale now um, with a hundred employees. But um, we, it, it was hard. I think that we had to learn. Um, I always would have said that we were both good communicators and we're not. Um, and we, you know, I think that was, you know, sometimes it's very painful to like look at things about yourself in, the, in a mirror and hear it back and realize that like, you think you're saying something clearly, but if other people aren't getting it, then you're not saying it clearly. Um, I think managing expectations, if you're not doing that, no one's a mind reader, like, how do you do that? Um, making it really clear around what goals and what metrics of success are and what timelines are. Those are all things that we all take for granted, especially in more established places of work and, um, and process. And those were all things we had to create from absolutely nothing. And so it has been um, a work in progress. I will always be grateful for our earliest, earliest employees who kind of stuck with us while they knew we were figuring out how to be managers. One thing that I found really helpful that we just started to do actually was... Um, Years ago, we met with someone at LinkedIn who was this amazing woman who was um, very far along in her career. And we were talking about how do you set expectations? And she said that whenever she has a new direct report come on, she writes a personal letter. Um, and that's how she starts off the relationship. And that's how she starts off the onboarding. And so we recently started to do that with our direct reports. And even writing a letter, which is um, very personal, right? Like when's the last time you actually sat down to write a letter? Um, which I think is a good for us way of setting the tone. But just putting in there, like, what is the expectation around texting? What is the expectation about how you communicate? Um, 
that was really helpful. The other thing that we have just started doing, um, which I credit uh, this woman on our people team here shared her uh, share this with us um, is like a user manual to yourself. Um, so when you come on, uh, you have to write down like how do you communicate? Um, what is good to know about you? What's something you're working on? Um, and present it to the person that you're reporting into. And it makes you have to reflect coming in. And it also makes it not an awkward conversation um, to be able to say like, here are all the things that are probably in my head that I want you to know about me that I don't want to wait for you to ask or like have this weird back and forth. Mm, I love that. Into the user That's manual. That's a really great idea. Genius. Um, you mentioned earlier trust and trusting one another and that you couldn't imagine not trusting, um, you know, your partner in business. And, um, you know, how do you build trust with your team, you know, and how do you empower them at the same time? And, it's a fine line. I think, you know, this is your baby and this is something that, you know, to, to give over to some responsibility of to another person for us is difficult sometimes. So I'd love to know how you build that trust. Really hard. Um, I think that's probably was one of the earliest things that was hardest. And then I think we got to the point where we're like, we are wasting too much time that we don't have trying to like, test out if we trust somebody. And so as part of actually the letter that we write, we say like this, this position, because it doesn't matter what position it is, this position requires trust. Mm. You have, you, you will start with ours. Like we hope we have yours, um, but like we're starting with it. And so I think people are, you know, who we've brought on recently are just kind of surprised. Like there's nothing we're not telling them. They're like, here's everything in the kitchen sink. Here's everything I can legally tell you. Um, and uh, it is your trust to like the bond between us is yours to break. Um, and I hope you don't. Uh, but and if you did, honestly, probably would no longer be a, a fit for the company. Um, but I think that that was probably one of the most important switches we had to be into that. Okay. I want to talk about the book. Got a book yeah. coming out. <laughs> so exciting. Um, and then you guys are going on tour. June 11th is, is when it's out. So what was the, the June 11th, right? Yeah, so uh, the tour kicks off um, on the on June 10th in New York City. The book comes out, How to Skin Your Life. You can get it. Go to theskim.com slash book. Uh, we love supporting independent booksellers. You can also get it um, at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the places that you to read. Um, and it comes out June 11th. And this is our first book after years of recommending books, seeing what has popped for our audience, hearing all of the questions that our audience has. We wanted to create uh, the book that we wish we had seven years ago when we started the company, um, which is a reference guide to how to be an adult. Um, so we created How to Skin Your Life. That's amazing. Where did you guys... So as part of the research, where did you guys get the information and like, what was that research and writing process like awesome. for you? It's funny. You know, this is, as Daniel said, something that we have been thinking about for so long that it almost is like it kind of poured out of us. Like we've almost had the book written in our heads for a very long time. And obviously with the support of our amazing team, we're able to put this together. But truly when we thought about, you know, what are the categories in our life that um, 
we still have deer headlights moments on, not just us, but like our audience. Um, so thinking about whether conversations we have with our friends, thinking about what our audience has asked for more on, talking to our ambassadors um, who have been incredibly helpful, especially our um, Skin Book Squad, which is uh, helping launch uh, helping launch the book with us, we're so grateful for, has all given inspiration for us to choose the topics that we actually are writing about. And not just those topics, but actually how we designed the book. Every single page is designed by our team. Um, some of those designs are actually kind of narrowed down or picked out by our, our Skin Squad uh, members. So it's community effort as well. Um, and we're just so proud of, of how this really represents kind of all facets of the book, or all facets of the company, I'm sorry. I love that. Um, and I'd love to know, I, I'm sure there will be more and more stories coming out as people read the book as well. But, you know, when I think of, of the Daily Skim and um, I started reading it in New York and in a city that was just so overwhelming <laughs> in every way. And I loved it so much, but it was like this love hate relationship, but it just empowered me like period the end, you know, I could, I could have conversations, um, you know, about what was going on in the world and felt really confident and that, you know, translated into confidence in other areas of my life. So I'd love, you know, a, a brief story or two of, you know, women who have reached out to you just talking about like how it's impacted their life. I don't know how to narrow that down. Um, well, first of all, thank you. I mean, you said it better than we ever put. That is our hope with anything we create at the company. I think that the company has evolved from having, you know, one daily product into hopefully what we want to present to our audience is that they should always look smarter. And whether it's about daily news to finance to um, how you travel, how you relate with one another. Um, those are all things that we want to be able to help make it easier for people to live smarter. I think one example to me was um, we have our No Excuses campaign. Uh, we registered um, hundreds of thousands of women to vote um, in elections in 2018. In the midterms, we got over 200,000 women out there. It's really a community effort. Um, and it is not about us telling you who we think you should go for. It's making sure that women throughout the country feel informed and then show up to make that decision. As part of that, each time we run the campaign, we try something a little bit different. And um, so this past summer, we flew um, 30 uh, Skim Squad members um, to our HQ um, and they had to apply and talk about why civic engagement was important to them, what they wanted to get out of it. Um, and one of the first things that we did over two days of them flying to New York, um, sitting through civic engagement speakers, talking through with our team, how do you approach someone and ask if they're going to vote? How do you canvas um, when your candidate is really just go vote, right? Um, it's, it's a different pitch. Um, what questions can you anticipate? And it started all, it kicked off with just all of us in a room standing up, introducing ourselves and talking about why we're here. And it, it was just um, incredible. And some of the women said, you know, I felt empowered reading the news. The expectation in our family is that you contribute and you make your voice heard. Um, to, you know, women running because they had never had that role model themselves and wanted to see that. Um, I think those stories and their stories and, and what they've done um, 
speaks for themselves. And I'm really proud that we have a team um, that can give them, uh, you know, even just the smallest bit of information to help. It's amazing. The best part about the female founded business, um, you know, change that we've seen with all the female founders that we've interviewed and just being in the space is like the fact that so much of what we do is centered around um, social good and social justice. And, you know, even you guys saying something where we're asking for how the scam has impacted you personally, you guys always, women always bring it back to a community, to the impact that it's had on others, to the greater good. And it's been um, such a beautiful thing to, to witness happening in society and in time. And um, we know it's only going to gonna grow and evolve. So that is beautiful. And I appreciate that. Um, and we were all about voting. So glad that you guys were on that as well. Um. So you, just as a last question from me, excited about the book and the tour for the book. So everyone look out for that. But I'd love to know kind of what is, you know, new from the skim so people can check it out. I think, you know, some people are are familiar with certain legs of the business, but I'd love for people to get a full 360 view of what's happening and what's coming down the pipeline. I think two things. One, make sure to check out our new daily audio podcast. Um, it's called Skim This. Uh, and it uh, comes out every day, every afternoon. breaks down uh, what was the most complicated story of the day. It's a 10-minute podcast. Best way to commute home. Um, and then obviously the book, which for us, uh, every chapter really represents um, a different direction for us as a company and all the areas that we make it easier to live smarter in. Beautiful. So good, girls. Thank you so much for making the time. We really appreciate it. And we're so, so honored to talk to you. And also just, it it's nice to have a conversation with another set of female founders and, and be real about what's good and what's not so good and what's challenging. So thank you for being so honest. Yeah. On your first hires. That's it's yeah. so exciting. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Yeah. And your team has been amazing. So props to them for all their support through the process and good luck on tour. It'll be amazing. And we're so excited for our girls to listen uh, to the podcast and buy the book. Great. Great. Thanks, thanks guys. Have a good day. Bye, Bye guys. Thank you so much, ladies, for joining us. Yes, thank you. You guys are inspirations and we are excited and enthusiastic about reading your book. So thanks for coming on the podcast. Mm -hmm. You guys can check out The Skim and make sure to grab their book and see them on tour. Theskim.com slash book. You can pre-order it there. Visit them on tour. It's going to be rad. Visit us on tour as well. Can't wait to see you. Um, And we just always love reading all of your reviews. We read every single one of them. Um, And this one titled from one uh, one Ohio girl to another five oh, stars. Sister. This podcast makes me feel so seen while living in an environment where I feel it's really hard to share what I believe and feel and think sometimes. Thank you girls so much from Maggie. Oh. Maggie, see you in Columbus, honey. Yeah, Please can't wait. We're speaking at the Empowered Voice event in Columbus. So make sure to join that. That's being put on by by the Finding Your Shine girls, Nina and Liz. They are fabulous. And then we have an intimate uh, event in Columbus. So make sure to join that, Maggie. And thank you so much for writing those reviews. We have the most thoughtful, um, kind reviews I've ever seen and they never cease to blow me away. So uh, if this podcast has impacted you in any way, we would appreciate if you take a second, put this on pause and just write us a little note. It would mean so much for us providing this free content to you every single week. Love you. Love you. Love you. Love you. See you soon. Bye.